From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, thanks for tuning in for this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. I'm back from San Antonio, Texas, where we had a great night celebrating life with Dave McCall and the folks at the Pregnancy Care Center in San Antonio. And I'm excited to be here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, which is the site of tonight's Pray, Vote, Stand town hall meeting. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. In their minds, they've been sort of put on earth by God to form this country into a certain kind of Christian country, whether the majority wants to or not. Tonight, we're going to be talking about, you guessed it, Christian nationalism. A little later, I'll be joined by our host, Pastor Gary Hamrick, as we discuss what role churches should play in addressing cultural and so-called political issues that impact the family and the country. And we'll also get a preview of tonight's National Town Hall meeting from our three other panelists, Professor Dr. David Mark Hall, Intelligence Specialist Stephen Coughlin, and former Congresswoman and Presidential Candidate Michelle Bachman. But first, while illegal immigrants commit murderous rampages on the streets of America, what is the Biden administration doing? Conducting raids on the homes of pro-life advocates and arresting them. The scripture says in Isaiah chapter 5, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And our president, Joe Biden, has made a policy platform of calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil. That was Darren Stead, Operation Save America assistant director at a press conference today for the 11 pro-life advocates who have been arrested by the Biden administration. We'll talk about how the Biden administration is targeting political opponents and misdirecting resources, which is fueling crime in America. Also, the Biden administration, Department, their Department of Justice, are they colluding with the American Medical Association to silence critics of gender-altering surgeries on minors? Well, that's what five Republican senators are trying to find out in a letter to the Attorney General Merrick Garland. One of those senators, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, joins us in just a moment. And the White House is outraged over Saudi Arabia's energy production policy, saying it's going to hurt people. This OPEC plus decision, uh, you know, on their energy policy uh, was indeed self-serving. And it's going to hurt, uh, you know, middle and low uh, economies, uh, countries across the country. And that is a problem. It was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre what about the Biden administration's anti-energy policies that are hurting Americans? We'll discuss that with Myron Ebel, director of the Competitive Enterprise Institute's Center for Energy and Environment. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there at the website, TonyPerkins.com. Tonight's town hall meeting on Christian nationalism begins at 7 p.m. Eastern time right here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in northern Virginia, I invite you to come out and join us. But you can still join us no matter where you are. Go to PrayVoteStand.org or simply text the word town hall. That's one word, town hall to 67742. That's 67742, and you'll get a link to join us. The word for today comes from Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
King Jehoshaphat, who had a heart for God, found himself facing an invading army that would have quickly overwhelmed Judah. So what did he do? He assembled the people and they cried out to God. They acknowledged they were literally nothing against such a great horde. In fact, the situation was apparently so bad they had no idea what to do. But the king said, our eyes are on you, God. The mounting forces of evil, which threaten our families and even our freedoms, are overwhelming, causing some to capitulate, surrendering their freedoms and even their children to the darkness. Our response should not be surrendering, but shifting, shifting our eyes off our lack of power to the all-powerful source of our hope, God himself. All right, this week, five Republican senators sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland demanding access to all communications between the Department of Justice and the American Medical Association. This was in follow-up to the AMA's request that the department investigate what they call disinformation campaigns against gender-altering surgeries on children. It's not difficult to see why these senators, or anyone else for that matter, would be troubled by the actions of this Department of Justice. Now, will this pattern of abusing investigative investigative authority silence critics and stifle policy debates? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is one of the authors of the letter, Texas Senator Ted Cruz. He serves on six committees in the Senate, including the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Cruz, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, always good to be with you. Thank you for having me. All right. From reading the letter, it seems like you are concerned that this specific incident with the AMA, but perhaps more concerning, this is a pattern that we see from the Biden Justice Department. Tell us about it. Well, this is really an intersection of two things that are deeply troubling. One is the politicization of the Department of Justice and the FBI under Joe Biden. And and I have to say, Merrick Garland as attorney general, I think, is more damage to the integrity of DOJ and the FBI than any attorney general in history. Uh, He has acquiesced in using DOJ as a partisan enforcement tool. Uh, And and we saw that strikingly early in the Biden administration when the National Association of School Boards sent a letter to the White House asking for the Department of Justice to target parents, target moms and dads, going to school boards and exercising their First Amendment rights uh, and, and expressing concern about teaching critical race theory, about transgender ideology, about failure to protect kids from sexual assault. And Merrick Garland, five days later, wrote a memo to the FBI directing the FBI to target parents uh, to treat them essentially as, as domestic terrorists using the Patriot Act. And it was blatantly politicized. It was wrong. Now, in this instance, we have that willingness to politicize DOJ intersecting with the left's radical ideology on transgenderism, and in particular, the horrific practice that we are seeing more and more of so-called hospitals engaging in genital mutilation of of children, and in some instances, young children, giving them hormones that permanently alter their body, that sterilize them. And, and And here, the AMA is asking DOJ to similarly abuse its power, but in this case, to go after anyone, to go after reporters, to go after you or me if we shine a light on the horrific practices being carried out uh, by by these so-called hospitals. And and, and it is, I think, an incredibly dangerous invitation to an abuse of power by the Biden DOJ. 
no question that it is an abuse of power, but also isn't it a misdirection of resources? When you consider we're talking about activities that are actually protected under the Constitution. We're talking about parents sure. concerned about what's happening on school boards. We're con- parents that may be concerned about children being mutilated, as you pointed out, through this gender transition uh, surgeries. And, and then we've got uh, over a dozen pro-lifers in the last three weeks, pro-life advocates who have been exercising First Amendment freedoms outside of abortion clinics have been arrested under the FACE Act by the Biden administration, while America is awash with lawlessness, murder rates going up in major cities all across this country. How I mean, this is outrageous that they're focused on people exercising their freedom while criminals run rampant. Look, you're exactly right. This is the Department of Justice that can't be bothered to go after Black Lives Matter rioters or Antifa rioters. It can't be bothered to go after terrorists or or violent uh, protesters outside the homes of Supreme Court justices, even though it's against federal law. They don't enforce the law in any of those instances. But when it comes to pro-life activists, they will send an army of FBI agents to open up the door, guns drawn, and arrest them. And and it's naked politicization of DOJ and the FBI. You know, as it so happens, I've got a book coming out next week on exactly this topic. The book is entitled Justice Corrupted, How the Left Has Weaponized the Legal System. And it, and it tracks, it starts with Richard Nixon. And Richard Nixon tried to use DOJ and the FBI and the IRS to target his enemies. And, and by and large, the system worked. The agencies refused to cooperate, and Nixon resigned in disgrace. Well, what Nixon tried to do Barack Obama and Joe Biden succeeded in doing. Barack Obama put hard partisans into career positions at DOJ and the FBI, the intelligence agencies, and the IRS, and targeted his political enemies. It has now metastasized under Joe Biden. And and let me encourage your listeners, go to Amazon or wherever you get your books, and and you can pre-order the book that comes out next week, Justice Corrupted, How the Left Has Weaponized the Legal System, explains exactly how the Department of Justice has been turned into the political enforcers for this Biden White House. Senator Cruz, I want to ask you an underlying issue, a concern, a greater concern past just the immediate. I was in Texas last night uh, speaking to a group. and Everywhere I go, I'm sure you hear the same thing. People concerned about this lawlessness and a a growing frustration. My concern is that if we give in to this lawlessness because there seems to be a two-track system of justice our whole system, our, our republic implodes. We are a country that works because of the rule of law. That is absolutely right. And, and the rule of law is, is, is something precious. Listen, I don't want a Republican Department of Justice. I don't want a Republican FBI. I don't want a Democrat DOJ or FBI. I want a DOJ and FBI that enforces the law regardless of party, regardless right. of who you are. And, and sadly, for, for the Democrats, it, it, it's a one-way ticket. So when it comes to Hillary Clinton and her violations of law, they turn a blind eye. But with Donald Trump, they sent an army of FBI agents to storm his home. And it is over and over again the double standard that is glaringly obvious. And, and, and it is remarkable. Merrick Garland is perfectly willing to have the DOJ function in a nakedly partisan way, and, it, and it's completely unjustifiable.
Senator, very quickly, I, I want to get your take on the vice president responding uh, to the, the governor of Texas and other governors who are helping the nation see the depth of the problem of illegal immigration. Here, here she is responding uh, to on late night with uh, Seth Meyers. Play uh, clip number 10, please. I just think it's an absolute dereliction of duty. If you see a problem and if we agree that, that we need to address it, then if you're a leader, participate in a solution, right? Uh, Senator, very quickly, where's the dereliction of duty? Well, you know, you know, there's an old line in Washington is that a gaffe is when a politician accidentally tells the truth. I, I got to say, Kamala accidentally told the truth. She's right. There is a, a dereliction of duty on her part and Joe Biden's part. Joe Biden refuses to enforce the law. Kamala is ostensibly the border czar. She's in charge of the border. You know, she hasn't been to the Rio Grande Valley once. 4.4 million people have crossed illegally. I've been down there over and over again. I've seen the children who are physically assaulted and sexually assaulted by the human traffickers. I've seen the women raped by the human traffickers. I've seen the dead bodies abandoned on Texas farms. And, and this arrogant, hypocritical Democrat doesn't care at all and says, well, gosh, when you send them to Martha's Vineyard, it disturbs my billionaire donors. The absolute hypocrisy of it. I, I'm sorry, Tony, but it makes me angry because I've seen the human suffering that their lawlessness and open borders are causing. And, and it's coming to communities across America. That's why it has to yep. stop. Uh, Senator yep. Cruz, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, my friend. God bless. All right. Senator Ted Cruz of uh, Texas. You can find out more about his book. Go to TonyPerkins.com. All right. Coming up, President Biden is frustrated that gas prices are rising again. This time it's not Putin. It's OPEC. We're going to talk about it next. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. 
To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Back to Washington Watch. We're broadcasting from Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, the site of tonight's town hall meeting on Christian nationalism. You can be a part of it if you're in Northern Virginia. Come out and join us. If you're elsewhere, you can still join us. Text the word town hall to 67742, and you'll get a link where you can join us online. Ever since the OPEC oil cartel announced it was slashing production, we've seen a steady rise in gas prices across the country. The president seemed pretty pleased with himself when gas prices were coming down after he depleted the strategic oil reserves, but not so much so now. Here's what he had to say the, last uh, night. Uh, this House and Senate gets back. There's, they're going to have to, uh, there's going to be some consequences for what they've done with Russia. Blaming OPEC, he now says there are going to be consequences. But what about the policies of this administration? How have they caused this spike in energy cost. You know, when you look back on what he has done in the first two years, the finger shouldn't be pointed at Putin or OPEC. should be coming right back to this administration. Join me now to, uh, to talk about this and what is behind the rise in energy prices in our country and how they could be brought under control is Myron Ebel. He's the director of the Competitive Enterprise Institute Center for Energy and Environment. Myron, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, Myron, I really want to go into, you know, the president seems to be pointing the fingers everywhere. First, it was uh, because of Putin. Of course, when the prices went down, when he was uh, artificially keeping them low with depleting the strategic oil reserves, it was all about him. Um, Now OPEC is to blame. But really, this is much deeper than this. this. The policies of this administration have been driving up energy prices since day one. You're absolutely right, Tony. Uh, President Biden uh, claims that he cares about high gasoline prices and high electric rates. But in fact, all of his policies are designed to to make energy more expensive. So uh, he just wants to blame somebody and say it has nothing to do with me. OPEC should shouldn't be cutting uh, uh, oil production. But in fact, of course, the weak position that the United States is in is uh, giving OPEC the opportunity to do that. If we were still energy dominant, as we were under President Trump, uh, then 
you know, OPEC was in a very weak position, and that's why gasoline was $2.50 a gallon instead of $4 a gallon. Now, now, Myron, this is also a national security issue, because if we are dependent upon foreign source, sources and we need energy to fight a war, we're, in, we're over a barrel. Absolutely. Uh, and, of course, uh, one of the reasons that Saudi Arabia has been so uh, unhelpful to help uh, President Biden out of his, his political uh, uh, difficulty of supporting higher energy prices but trying to blame others for them. Uh, Saudi Arabia, of course, uh, uh, President Biden has done everything he can to alienate them. He's supported the Iran deal. Well, who who is in, in the entire Near East and Middle East, who is Saudi Arabia's biggest enemy? It's Iran. So he's supporting an Iran deal, at, which would uh, pay them off with uh, $100 billion uh, and uh, put them back in the world stage. He's, he's not helping them uh, in Yemen. Uh, and he's uh, basically said, you know, nasty things about them, uh, uh, starting back with his campaign. So they have no reason to bail him out of his own uh, policy decisions. So, Myron, let's look a little bit at uh, the policies of this administration, which, as you pointed out, if we were doing domestic production, it wouldn't matter what they were doing overseas. But in January of uh, 2021, as soon as he came into office, he rejoined the Paris Agreement, which had an implicate, has implications for us here. He, uh, he issued an executive order uh, on protecting public health and environment and restoring science to tackle the climate crisis, which canceled the Keystone pipeline. And uh, correct me if I'm, uh, if I'm wrong, but even though that was in the distance, gasoline fuel prices are based a lot on speculation of what's going to be available in the future. And so the, yes. the president could help keep prices down even now if he would say, look, I'm going to remove a lot of these regulations we put in place. We're not going to try to hamper the funding, which is another layer of restriction that they put on energy companies. That could have an immediate impact, could it not, on energy prices? Absolutely. Uh, you're right about what people think of it's going to happen in the near future. And I'm glad you mentioned the Paris Climate Treaty. Uh, he started with the Paris Climate Treaty, and then he made another commitment that we're going to reduce emissions even more than we promised under the Paris Climate Treaty. He stopped leasing uh, federal lands and offshore areas for oil production. And he's been uh, trying to uh, implement financial regulations which will discourage investment in oil, gas, coal uh, production and in refining and in pipelines. So if you need uh, pipelines to get heating oil to New England, you're out of luck. If you need uh, a pipeline to get natural gas to a a market, you're out of luck because they're trying to stop all those things. And in fact... They're using that funding mechanism of the uh, of financing to leverage restrictions by pushing the green energy, saying, look, if you're going to loan money, you need to go so much needs to go toward new green renewable energy and only a certain percentage to fossil fuels. Is that right? Well, the percentage to fossil fuels is zero under the ESG agenda, which they're pushing on the financial community. They're trying, even beyond the regulations, they're just trying to scare uh, big investment in investors and financial firms from investing in coal, oil, and gas. So if, if the money isn't there, 
then production isn't going to go up. It's going to go down. And uh, in fact, uh, it, production has gone up as a result of high prices, but it could have gone up a lot more if we had the favorable uh, uh, policies uh, of the preceding president. So final question for you, Myron. When, when the administration says, oh, we're doing all the we're, we're encouraging uh, companies to pump oil and to refine gasoline. They're not being honest because they have all these layers of restrictions that are actually keeping them from doing it. Yes, they lie. Uh, when you say they're not being honest, they just lie. They're trying to get past the election by lying to the American people about what their policies really are. Their policies are to raise energy prices by reducing production and uh, they're they're succeeding. That's why electric rates are going up in, in most parts of the country. But the, but the but the Saudis pulled the curtain back on them and have exposed yep. them going into this election. Myron Ebel, good to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks. Coming up next, how should churches engage in public policies? At a place for them. We we talk about that next. You're on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, I'm here at Cornerstone Chapel, the location for tonight's Prevote Stand Town Hall meeting on the subject of Christian nationalism. Now, some might ask, why would a public policy town hall be meeting, a meeting be held in a church? Well, I get asked similar questions often. You know, why, why should churches 
be concerned with public policy. Well, I guess we really should say, why are politicians concerned about moral and spiritual issues? They've invaded the space of the church, and they expect the church to be quiet. Well, fortunately, many are not. Joining me now is one of those pastors who is not silent about these issues, Pastor Gary Hamrick. He's the senior pastor here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, and the host for tonight's town hall meeting. Pastor Gary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Always good to be with you. Well, let's just start right there. Why are you hosting, actually, your second town hall meeting with Prevote Stand? Why, uh, why a town hall meeting? Why taking on issues in the church building? I mean, the church has always been central to, uh, to America. Um, you, you look at even the Revolutionary War when the British came to Lexington. It was a pastor, Jonas right. Clark, who yeah. drew the 70 men from his congregation who became known as the Minutemen Militia. Uh, because Britain wanted them to declare, you know, who their sovereign was. And we, we had to reply, we have no sovereign except Jesus as our king. So the church has always been central to our history. The church, because of the preaching of the gospel, has always been central to morality. And without that, I mean, then we're just cut loose from our moorings as a nation. I mean, it's been it's central to community life. It is. I mean, you go back to, to Plymouth, the Pilgrims, the first building they built was the, yeah. kind of the community building, which right. served as a multi-purpose building, including worship services. But you, you see time and time again where church buildings were the town hall meetings. They That's were right. the places where the community came together to meet because you couldn't separate you know, religious freedom was the ability to order our lives. That's why people came here according to their faith, not to escape their faith. And so that's, it's always been central to who we are as Americans. Only been, really, I would say in the last 15 years or less, have we seen this intense hostility, which of course is why we're here tonight, because I think this labeling of Christian nationalism is designed to drive us away and scare us. Sure. Anything that can marginalize us, anything that can make us look extreme and irrelevant, that's, that's what's happening right now. And, you know, when people sometimes say to me, why have you gotten more vocal or more, quote, right? My answer has been right in the sense political right. My answer has been I haven't gone anywhere. Like for the last 30 years, I've been teaching out of the same book. The Bible is our guiding handbook for life. It's that as the culture has drifted, in a different direction. Now it makes people like us who are just holding to the basic truths of God's word look like we're extreme. You know, I was actually having that conversation one time with Franklin Graham. We were talking and I don't know if he said this publicly. If not, I'll hear from him after I say that. But I said, you know, Franklin, your father never really spoke to these issues like you do. Right. And, and, I said, so why was it? He goes, he didn't have to. Right. So, so I have the same comment about my pastor, who has now gone on to be with the Lord, is Chuck Smith oh, yeah. of Calvary yeah. Chapel. And people said, well, Chuck was never all that political. And I said, well, yeah, because back in the 80s, you still had marriage as a biblical definition. You still had biological sex being defined by God and not by people's whim. You had all kinds of things that we're facing now that you weren't right. facing then. Right. So it, it requires us to speak up. Unfortunately, though, many have lost their voice and they've uh, they've shrunk back into the shadows of society, fearful of what you said, the marginalization, the uh, what I was is is what Jesus said. They're going to hate you. Yeah, right. And and people are afraid of that. I think we should embrace it. Yeah, I do, too. I mean, truth, by definition, is exclusive. 
and can be offensive, depending on if you align with truth or not. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, pastors are shying away from it, I think, because they're intimidated, not just by the narrative of the culture, which is strong, like, you know, trying to, again, marginalize us. But I think they're intimidated because they're afraid of losing people in their congregation. They're afraid of losing offerings that come with those people. But, Tony, I can tell you, since I've had to be a little bit more vocal about these issues, our attendance has grown. Our offerings have doubled in the last two years. I mean, it's a testimony of how hungry people are for the truth. Like, tell us the truth. Yeah, well, look, People, I think, are beginning to realize the world does not have the answers. Right. And so why would you go to a church that is offering the same thing the world exactly. offers? Exactly. They want the truth. I think people are willing to—they they want to be challenged. Now, the truth, even as believers, the truth can be uncomfortable. Sure. Because we all have to come in alignment with the Word of God. We don't yeah. meld and mend the Word of God to fit our lives. Right. We change our lives to fit the Word of God. Exactly. Sometimes I read scripture and it's like broccoli. It's a little more difficult, but it's good for me. And other times it's like ice cream, well, I, but you know, it's all good for us. I, I like broccoli if it's got cheese on it. Though. So well, yeah, cheese. Sure, or a lot of butter or something. <laughs> so uh, a word to pastors very quickly. We're almost out of time. We're up against a break, but pastors who are maybe hesitant to speak out. Yeah, I would just encourage pastors to just be faithful. Ezekiel 33 calls us to be watchmen on the wall, and we're going to be held accountable if we don't sound the trumpet. The one thing I like about Pastor Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel in general is as as pastors just preach through the Word. That's right. And so you're not cherry-picking issues. You just deal with them when they come up. Exactly, and you'll end up touching on all the hot topics at at one point. And if you skip it, your people will call you out. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) right. Because it's right there in the Word. Pastor Gary Hamrick, always great to have you on. Thanks for hosting us tonight. Thanks, Tony. All right. And, folks, if you'd like to join us, text the word Town Hall to 67742. You'll get a link, or you can go to prayvotestand.org. It begins at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We'll talk about a little bit more when we come back after this break. More Washington Watch to come right here from Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? 
Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us for Washington Watch. I'm here at Cornerstone Chapel for tonight's town hall titled The Rise of the Term Christian Nationalism. Where did it come from and why is it being used? It's almost like the left held a meeting and they were given marching orders to say Christian nationalism as often as possible. Christian nationalism is not Christianity. What is Christian nationalism? Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Violent Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is crying out for a reality check. Is it loving your family? Is it going to church? Is it praying for America? Is it a denomination? A policy? A political party? Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. In their minds, they've been sort of put on earth by God to form this country into a certain kind of Christian country, whether the majority wants to or not. The rise of the term Christian nationalism. Where did it come from and why is it being used? And that is what we're going to talk about tonight. That was just a sample of how the term Christian nationalism is being used. Join me now to discuss this and preview a bit of what we will cover tonight here at the Pray Vote Stand Town Hall meeting. Our three of tonight's guest speakers joining me is former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. She's now the dean of the Robertson School of Government at Regent University. Dr. Stephen Coughlin, he is principal at uh, Unconstrained Analytics, and Dr. Mark David Hall. He is author and professor at George Fox University. Uh, lady and gentlemen, welcome <laughs> to Washington Watch. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Dr. Hall, let me start with you. Um, the term Christian nationalism, everybody seems to be using it, but what does it mean? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for that. And I, this is not a scientific way to explore the question, but if you do a Google Ingram search, you'll see that almost no one is using Christian nationalism prior to 2006. No Christian is going around saying, I am a Christian nationalist. No one's saying we should promote Christian nationalism. It, it begins being popular in 2006 
when critics start using it as a label to label Christians who bring their faith into the public square for ends they don't like. Now, these, these critics of Christian nationalism, initially they're all popular authors. They're not academics by and large. They work for places like the Freedom From Religion Foundation. So that should suggest oh, yeah, nice there's groups. an agenda at work yeah. here. And so you have this criticism after criticism of these horrible Christians who want to bring about a theocracy and oppress women and African-Americans and all racial minorities. And it's just hor a horrible, toxic thing that no one would want to be associated with. Right. It, to me, that sounds like political warfare. Um, Stephen, what, 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 what's driving this? What are they using it for? Well, to pick up on a line you brought up earlier, I think they actually did decide they were going to uh, target uh, uh, pa normally patriotic Christian Americans. And what they did was they created a faux term, Christian nationalism, and they gave it all these negative attributes and then used that to attack Christians. It's part of what you call an intersectional line of attack in a political warfare model, which is the Maoist insurgency model, which we believe is the premier principal form well, of Marxism. That would, well, and that's what's driving the left today. I mean, we've, I've watched this. Michelle, I know you have as well. In my 20 years here at the Family Research Council, we went from having liberals like Chris Matthews. who used to go on hardball and debate him all the time. You don't see conservatives going on MSNBC um, because they're not liberals. They're leftists, and they don't want to have a discussion. And, and, Michelle, a lot of this is about political elections. I mean, what's, I mean, why all of a sudden this intense focus on Christian nationalism right before an extremely important midterm election? Because it all comes about holding on to power. That's what it's about. There's only one party power now in the United States, in Washington, D.C. They don't want to let it go. That's it. Bottom line, they want to hold on to power. And what they have seen is the power of the church the epicenter of power in the United States opposing their agenda is the church and the principles of the Bible. They don't like pastors preaching on issues. They don't like congregants being inspired from the Bible. And so that's why we're the target. They want to silence us. So this isn't some big academic thing. And Mark David Hall, Dr. Hall, is going to be talking about the research and how phony baloney a lot of the research is on this topic out there. But it's all designed to give a veneer of credibility that what they're saying is true. And I think what we're going to be demonstrating tonight, what they're saying is hogwash. And so we need to not be intimidated as believers. We need to pray, vote, stand. And having done all, stand. I think I've heard you say yes, that. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> it works, doesn't it? Uh, Dr. Hall, I want to ask you this question going back to kind of the definition because I've, uh, I'm have i used to the to the left's tactics, the Marxist tactics of labeling to the purpose. I mean, this actually goes back to the rules for radicals. They do the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but when you look like what happened just recently, about two weeks ago in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, who is running for governor there, uh, called upon his supporters to pray and fast for 40 yeah. days. Yeah. Now, yeah. I've been a part of a lot of prayer yeah. and fasting yeah. events. In fact, even when I was in office and a candidate, I did the same thing. Well, the media, some of the media, responded immediately saying, evidence that he is a Christian nationalist. Well, that would actually put a lot of the leaders in the history of this country into the category of Christian nationalist. 
Throughout American history, Christians at their best have brought their faith into the public square to fight for liberty and justice for all in creating just colonial laws and opposing slavery and promoting civil rights. I mean, think about the right. leaders of the civil right. rights movement, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., Ralph Abernathy, Andrew Young, on and on they do. Now, what goes on here is a, is a bit of labeling because even the critics, even the better academic critics of Christian nationalism will, will say it's perfectly fine for the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr to bring his faith into the public square to advocate for civil rights. But if you dare to bring your faith in the public square to oppose abortion or to argue for a conception of religious liberty that goes beyond freedom of worship, you're a sexist or a bigot. That's an evil sort of Christian nationalism that yeah. must be oppressed. I throw this out for anyone. Uh, my observation is that the intensity of this began to ramp up over the issue of human sexuality. When the redefinition of marriage came, then there seemed to be have to be a clear line made, and anyone who dare take on that issue had to be eliminated, had to be silenced. And I think that's where we've really seen the intensity of this, because these things for people who actually believe the Bible, they're non-negotiable. It's not, it's not our truth. It's God's truth, and we have to as I was just talking with Pastor Gary, we have to come in alignment with the Word. We don't make the Word of God come in alignment with us. But I think especially on this issue with sexuality of a genderless society, that's the move right now. We're going to have a genderless society, and you make up your own truth. This is the ultimate fabrication of truth, yeah. is to make up what your human sexuality is. So that is so bizarre, so over the top. We've never seen this kind of a conversation before. And so for that reason, they need to make us look like we're the oddballs. This is weird. This is bizarre to say that we're a genderless society. And so for us talking about what has been normative for 5,000 years of human history, they ha they're working overtime to make us look like we're the bizarre ones. Right. I, I want to go to the issue of this is creating a void and a vacuum in chaos. Something always fills that. In your study of Marxism and your study of uh, essentially political warfare, where does this lead? Well, I think what we're seeing right now is a phrase that is popular in my circle. is called liquefying reality, where they're at the point of a demoralization campaign where people can no longer understand. They're happy that people who want to talk about genderless society will do it. What they really call the victory is people who know it's not true and will still say it the demand that 2 plus 2 equals 5. And that's the imposition of will on people. So was, was COVID a test of that concept where we just see people falling in line like lemmings? Well, we actually put something out warning. We got to the National Security Council warning that the narrative on COVID was completely severable from COVID itself. And within the narrative on COVID, it enforced what we call Marxist mass line enforcement narratives. And the word mass line comes from Mao. And that right down the line, we were able to call the election a year ahead. We had something out that it was the whole radical summer was going to start in Minnesota before that thing was started because we could... We can, we can see what they're saying, and we can see where they're going, and we can forecast what they're doing. They're that predictable, but we have to make a decision to put aside our college-educated, ed taught political science narratives, which I think are designed to create a scientific language or pseudoscientific language that overwrites what people are seeing and redefine it. So were you encouraged at all by—it it took a little while to get some traction, but there was some strong pushback to— 
and I'm talking about COVID in particular, because I do think that was kind of a test run for the left. There was a lot of pushback against that. And it tells me that our society as a whole has not picked up and is not waving the white flag. I don't think people have given up at all. I think people have to remember that what's going on right now is Republicans have won the election on the issue that is what the what people here come to, come to vote for. It's the people we elect who will not execute that when it happens, when they win, even if they win big. So I don't think it's a problem of the masses. I get to Minnesota. My mother-in-law died. She's from Minnesota. If you went one step outside of Minneapolis, all you saw was Trump flags. It's all you saw. And I am one of those people who wonders whether Ellison ever won that election. And I think that that might want to be one of those states where that was an early. So you're a denier. Well, I am a. Another, I'm just picking. Yes. That's another one. Of, that's a little, You don't. You haven't been around me enough, so you don't. You didn't pick up on that. That that's the. That's the labeling. Absolutely. That's the labeling. But because then you, of, I think that's part of the confusion campaign, and I think the I think Romans one really speaks to this: the fact that we are swimming in a sea of lies right now in America, and have been through COVID. Right. I think that's what you're talking about. That's a test run for right. lies, where you lie and lie and lie to people, and once you believe the lie and you spout the lie yourself. Then you move into delusion. Right. That's what the scripture says. So that's we have a lot of cognitive dissonance within the church, I think, even. You're, you're absolutely right. I think it goes back to the issue of the lack of courage when you know the truth, but you're afraid to say the truth. And that's where pastors come in. That's where pastors and the church come in. Because you need to put a stake in the ground for what truth is and not deviate it. And so we have to keep our heads about us as believers, right. I think. Well, and, and going back, and I, you know, again, I was picking on that issue of the election, but there's a lot of evidence out there to show that there was a manipulation of the election process, whether it would be the, the boxes that Mark Zuckerberg you know, put in. Uh, but there's there's legitimate questions to be raised. And in a republic such as ours, you have to be free to you ask questions to. And, and answer And, and Regent University was the first university that did an election integrity seminar to question what just right. happened in 2020. So if anyone wants to see it, it's regent.edu forward slash election integrity. It's fantastic. It is seven hours of evidence immediately out of the gate where people came in and gave affidavits and all the rest about the fact that things weren't kosher on this election. And remember, that's when people were being thrown off Twitter. Right. They were thrown right, off right. Facebook. They were losing their jobs, if you remember, if you questioned. If you reframe how to look at that election, and, I, and we did reframe it before the election to say that the Marxist left was going to use the uh, a critical race theory, which is critical race, which is Marxism, to delegitimize the election. The fact remains that no matter what you personally think about that election, when you can show, I think now a majority of people have questions about that election. The very fact that the elected people will not do a real right. investigation is itself the actual victory, the delegitimization of the electoral process in the face of a public who knows something's wrong. So what do you do when you have the media that buys that and goes along with that and so that... The, the, the platforms by which we use to have these conversations as a nation are basically, as you said, shut off, Michelle, mm -hmm. when you have Twitter, Facebook removing people. So what happens at that point? Well, I think Christian nationalism is a part of that because I think that it is a national smear campaign. 
so that we are quiet, so that we self-censor, right. so we don't speak, to keep the church silent. If the church silent is silent, the left wins, the progressive wins, Satan wins if the church is silent. And that's why we have to keep our heads about us and tell the truth. Stephen, isn't there a danger, though, where there's this repression of half the population and they're marginalized, isn't there a danger that there could be an eruption of anger? And, and I mean, I, I think this is just a very dangerous place for a republic to be in. I think it's very dangerous. You know, we, we argue that what you see going on in America is a replay of the Weimar Republic in certain respects where they, they tried to correct all right. the errors they made in the Weimar Republic and they're trying to keep a cap on some of these narratives attack, attacking people who they see as possibly becoming problems ahead of time and intimidating them into silence. But they're playing a game with violence and, and you know, it's to the people running this, I would say when you're, it, it doesn't matter if you're riding on the back of a tiger, that tiger sometimes rides you and sometimes you ride the tiger. Yeah. So. And Dr. Mark David Hall is from Portland, Oregon, where he Not saw nice firsthand spot. Antifa. Yeah. From outside of Portland, thankfully. Yeah. yeah, no, Portland's just a, it's a war zone. It's a disaster and businesses and people are fleeing if they're at all able to do so. Mm-hmm. All right. You know what? We could do a town hall meeting on this. There's so much to talk about. Brilliant idea. Once again. <laughs> well, and it's coming up soon, folks. In fact, 7 p.m. Eastern time, you can join us for more of our conversation on Christian nationalism. Where'd the term come from? Why is it being used? What's the goal of those using it? That's going to be our conversation tonight. You can find out more by going to prayvotestand.org or simply texting the word town hall, one word, to 67742. That's 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight here at Cornerstone Chapel. All right, folks, until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.